The Providence Journal presents Nick and Bob, the college basketball podcast for Rhode Island and around the nation with your hosts, Kevin McNamara and Bill Koch. Hello and welcome to the Providence Journal's Pick and Pop podcast, our weekly look at the college basketball scene, both in Rhode Island and a little bit around the country anyways. This is Kevin McNamara here in Providence with uh, Bill Koch. Bill alongside. Uh, haven't seen you in a bit, Bill. Good to see you. Kevin, good to see you as always. Uh, both uh, the Providence Friars and the URI Rams are coming off wins. We're going to going to get into that a little bit, uh, but we're going to start with the A-10, Atlantic 10 champion, URI Rams. And uh, Bill, you were at the um, conference clinching game on Friday night, an 81-56 win over Dayton. Uh, I did not see it. Uh, I was traveling with the Friars in NDC, uh, quickly looked at my phone at the half, and I saw 36-34 Rhode Island, and I said, hmm, they're getting pushed. Next time I turned on my phone, it was a blowout. So very impressive second-half performance by the Rams. Yeah, it turned into more of a coronation than anything else. Uh, they had a 20-minute stretch from the five-minute mark of the first half to the five-minute mark of the second half where they outscored Dayton 45-14. to 14. Oh. Uh, That will get it done, as they say. Uh, you know, this was URI at their best. 18 assists and 8 turnovers. Dayton had 9 assists and 23 turnovers. That's basically what they've done to teams all year. What you were looking at is a, a young, inexperienced Dayton team coming on the road into a hostile environment. The Ryan Center was sold out. Fans were out for blood, and URI makes a run in the second half, and it's over. And we've seen them do this to teams time after time throughout this, you know, what has become a really special season in Kingston. Uh, Bill, offense or defense right now is is caring. Oh, obviously, it's been the mix of the two. That's why they've, uh, you know, in the, in the national poll, moved up to 17, I believe, today. Correct. Um, but... W- w- you know, what are they playing better at this stage of the game? I think offensively, they're just so efficient because of the way Jeff Doughton is playing. Uh, he's the co-A-10 player of the week this week. Uh, he had 20 more points in this game, five assists, no turnovers in 31 minutes. Uh, he's had a dozen games now this year, Kevin, where he's had at least five assists and either one or zero turnovers. And when you have a point guard playing that way, playing that many minutes like he does and, and taking such great care of the ball, you're guaranteed to get a decent look just about every time down on the floor. And he's been such a key for these guys. He allows E.C. Matthews and Jared Terrell and Andre Berry and Cyril Langevin the sort of freedom to find their spots on the floor and and find the shots that they can make. Uh, It's just really impressive what they've been able to do at both ends here. I can't uh, agree more with uh, Doughton. I think he's been the unsung hero. I think for a long stretch, we were kind of singing the praises of Stan Robinson, and he certainly had a very good senior year as well. But I think Doughton has been really the unsung hero of the whole mix here because uh, you know the, the, their backup point guard is really a freshman and a uh, you know, very talented freshman in Fats Russell, but you wouldn't want to entrust the offense to him for 30 minutes a game. And uh, the combination of the two... Uh, really is is like thunder and lightning. You know? Well, and you you still run Jarvis Garrett into that mix. Good point. Good point. Which, which definitely helps. Yeah. Uh, you know, and I think that Garrett's willingness to sort of step back and and into a reserve role allowed Doughton to flourish as a starter going forward. I think that 
sort of speaks to the unselfishness of the group, uh, and I think that's that's probably been their best characteristic this season. No, because all three can play. I, I think I, I almost don't see. Jarvis as a point guard anymore because he's been such a good offensive player. You know, mm. he provides that scoring punch, that instant offense off the bench. And he can shoot it. Yeah, he can he can score. He's a, he's a real scoring threat. Uh, obviously, uh, Russell is as well. Uh, you know, I'm going to skip ahead here a little bit. We're going to talk a little bit about the Rams week ahead, but uh, that begs the question, um, the all-league teams are sure. about to come in. And you know, up and down the lineup, you can make a case for an awful lot of Rams. What's your prediction? Well, for me, I think Jared Terrell has to be a first-team player in the A-10. Uh, just the way he's played at both ends of the floor this season. Um, offensively, he's shooting better than he ever has from the field, from three, from the line. And you know, Jared's not a one-way player. Uh, you watch the way no, he defends. He, he's a physical guy at that end of the floor. Uh, that really gives him energy going forward. Uh, so I certainly think he's a first-team guy. Uh, Stan Robinson would be my defensive player of the year in the league. Uh, he's pushing 65 steals, and he's over 30 charges taken this hmm. year. So when you add those two numbers together, he's caused 100 turnovers this gotcha. season uh, in 27 games, which is remarkable to think about. You know, One player causing the other team to turn it over three and a half times a game. That, that's just phenomenal uh, in terms of defensive production. Uh, you know, and then... I got to put you on the spot there, Bill, because uh, I, what I'm fearing, you know, you instantly said Jared Terrell, it's absolutely true. He's clearly going to be a first-team guy. What I'm fearing is that Rhode Island only gets one on the first team, which is a joke. You know, they, they, they've, they've laid this uh, Atlantic 10, uh, you know, league to, to rest all season long. Uh as far as I'm concerned, there should be two guys from St. Bonnie and two guys from URI, and then flip a coin, probably Peyton Aldridge as the fifth. Uh, that's usually not how things work because uh, does the A10, do, do the coaches vote or is it media? The coaches vote. There are no media votes. Uh, and, and honestly, you know, I understand your reasoning. For me, I'm not going to penalize guys just because they play on terrible teams. Uh, you know, I would have Jared Terrell, I'd have Peyton Aldridge there as well. I'd have Jalen Adams, uh, point guard from St. Bonaventure. I think he's been outstanding, in particular down the stretch. As has Mobley from um, St. Bonnie. You know, I my other two guys would be B.J. Johnson from LaSalle uh, and Justin Tillman from VCU. I, I think those are the five best players in the league. But but Johnson obviously missed a, a, a chunk of the – did he miss uh, – how many uh, league games did he miss? I think he missed three. Okay. Um, that's, that's not too many. Which, which isn't a ridiculous amount. And, and yeah. you know, he's a top-five scorer and top-five rebounder. I, I don't know if I've seen a better individual performance this year than the 29 and 23 he put up <laughs> against URI last Tuesday. Maybe in the country. What, what did he do Saturday? How, how do you follow up twenty nine and twenty three? You know, uh, I know that's uh, a, you, you. You take a shower. You <laughs> pack yourself in ice. Uh, and that, that's pretty much what you do. Make sure you can um, uh, post the next time around. He, he had uh, twenty three and nine in a win over Fordham uh, <laughs> to follow that up. So no shame there either. Well, in a win over Fordham, yeah. So maybe he's not the national player of the week because he was only one and one, but statistically he was the best player in the country last week. Uh, he shared the A10 Player of the Week awards with Jeff Dowden, uh, you know, which speaks to how well Jeff played in two games. Um, but I, I would say that those five guys would be my first team, and and then you know once I get down to the second and the third teams, 
then I would start favoring the winners. Uh, you know, certainly Matt Mobley has to be there from St. Bonaventure. Uh, John Axel Goodmanson from Davidson will, will get a big push. Um, from URI, you, you've got to look at Stan Robinson. You've got to look at Jeff Doughton. You've got to look at E.C. Matthews. I, sure. I think all three of those guys will get consideration. Um, you, know, you look at some of the other teams in the league, the all-rookie team, uh, I think Kellen Grady is probably the rookie of the year in the league. Uh, the Davidson guard, the Massachusetts native, he's outstanding. Uh, he's going to be a really good player going forward. And I certainly think that Fats Russell is going to get some consideration for that uh, coming out of URI. He's had a few strong games here down the stretch, reaching double figures uh, with frequency. And you know he had five steals the other night at LaSalle, which was a career high. You, you can see him finishing. Uh, the season instead of hitting that freshman wall that a lot of guys do and I think over the last five or six games he's really going to get some attention uh, and gain some momentum to get himself into that five. I I have a hard time believing that uh, those coaches won't put Fats on that team just because he is so disruptive defensively and can provide that uh, offensive spark as well but uh, just wanted to hit that a little bit because I know that uh, those awards will be announced probably as soon as uh, a week from today, maybe next uh, Tuesday, Wednesday. Maybe? Uh, generally, since the A-10 starts their tournament next Wednesday, they'll do it on the Tuesday, the day Tuesday. before. Okay. Um, Rhode Island has a uh, busy week, uh, and they do need to finish strong. Uh, we've talked all season on the podcast about uh, their seeding and their uh, wh- wh- what the NCAA will look at uh, with Rhode Island. And they end up with the senior night is tomorrow night at the Ryan Center, Tuesday night against St. Joseph's. And then they go on the road to wrap things up on Friday at Davidson. Uh, you know, it's certainly a dangerous game at Davidson. Uh, St. Joe, I have a hard time believing that they're going to come in uh, and, and beat the Rams, but certainly can push them a little bit. I, I guess if I'm Dan Hurley at this point, uh, I just want to, if anything, you know, you can see March. You know, it's right there. Uh, blowouts. I think blowouts can help the Rams right now, which you never like to say that, but I think that's probably true. I mean, most importantly, you have the double bye, so you don't play until next Friday. You're going to get a nice long rest from Friday to Friday. You know, guys like Jared Terrell and Stan Robinson, who play so hard at both ends, they're going to need a couple days off to sort of refresh and recharge here. Uh, St. Joe's, you're, you're trying to finish an undefeated home season for the first time in more than 70 years. Uh, so I'd imagine that's going to be big motivation for your eye. And then at Davidson, I always thought would be a difficult game only because it's senior night there. Uh, Davidson's a top 100 team, uh, probably going to finish third in the league. And, you know, they have some good pieces and play much better at home. Um, you know, so you figure that would be sort of a nice feather for URI to win that one out. Uh, you know, but I anticipate that one being something of a coin flip. And then you head to Washington, D.C. as the number one seed, and you open up on Friday at noon. Friday at noon. So, um the date there, Friday at noon. I don't have my uh, calendar in front of me, but it's a week from Friday. I want to say it's March 9th. For any Ram fans who uh, want to beg off work, it's uh, March 9th at noontime. They will be the number one seed. Uh, I just looked at the bracket. They will play at noon, at 1, and at 1. So no deadline pressure for Mr. Koch nope. in March. Outstanding. Uh, the only thing we need to make sure is that the alarm clock goes off every morning <laughs> uh, because anyone who knows me knows that I am not a morning person. In the least. We'll get you there on time, you know. You never know with Washington. Kevin, uh, you were just there, which leads us yeah. straight into the Friars. You, wow, uh, nice if, segue. If, thank you. Thank you very much. That's yes. some pro stuff, folks. Yes, uh, that's big time. You know, but you can give me uh, a few of the night spots that you and Paula Mack might have frequented on this trip. 
Well, you just said the magic word. So uh, any place that Paula Mac was in, you won't be in. So you know. <laughs> she she is a classy lady. That is true. <laughs> but uh, I've been there a few times, so uh, we, we can lead. We will try to lead you astray. I know that and, uh, when you're done work at five o'clock, uh, it's a long way till game time and, the next day. And recently, you've been there to see a streak of wins by the Friars over Georgetown. Eight straight, uh, which I, I, I never really thought I would ever have to say that uh, Providence would be able to beat Georgetown eight in a row. Uh, by far the longest streak in, in the long history between these two Big East teams. I mean, really, going back to your college days at Syracuse uh, in the 80s and, and then you know Georgetown playing Providence when they had Patrick Ewing on the floor and Big John Thompson. And yeah. you know, if you were a Friar fan at that point... You, you never could have imagined that you would have this sort of run of success against Georgetown. And even, you know, keep going through the 90s, you know, uh, Allen Iverson. Uh, you know, I mean, they've had a slew of big-time players, big-time pros, and nationally ranked teams. And uh, it was funny, I had uh, a cup of coffee with Rich Shavatkin, who's the longtime uh, play-by-play guy for Georgetown. Oh, sure. He's done it for 44 years. Wow, God bless him. Guess how many postseason tournaments in 44 years? 44. 39. No. Okay. 39. That's pretty good. Um, and for a while, I think he said he was on a, like, 30-year streak or something crazy. Going to the NCAs, you know, obviously the vast majority of the time. Uh, and the Hoyas obviously will not be in the NCAA tournament, barring a, a freakish run in the Big East tournament. No. Um, Providence uh, went down to D.C. and won 74-69. Came back and played very well in the second half. They were down five at the half. And then uh, held Georgetown to 29 points and 27% shooting in the second half. And that put them over the top. Uh, really a vital win. I think we've talked about that Providence at minimum had to get to uh, 500 in the Big East. And at 10-8 and eight in the Big East, I wouldn't say be, would be assured of uh, NCAA tournament bid, but be, would be really, really close. Uh, and now that's within their grasp. They're 9-8 and eight, uh, going to Xavier on Wednesday and ending with the St. John's on Saturday. And you know, I, I know, Bill, you like their chances uh, maybe a little more than I do, but uh, you think they're in a good spot. I think they're in a very good spot. Uh, you know, when you consider the, the work that they've done already this year, um, you know, this was sort of, when you look at the schedule, you're almost playing a little bit of defense in a way because the Georgetown game, could only hurt Providence. It couldn't really help them. They just had to hold serve here. It really hurt more than any of the last three just because Georgetown's uh, RPI is like 120. They're they're 147 right now. Where St. John's is in the 60s, so a loss there really doesn't kill them. That's right. And, you know, if you win at Xavier, it's a massive bonus. Uh, I mean, you already have a win there. Uh, They're two in the RPI right now. Uh, That would just be a a huge feather. But, you know, there'll be uh, double-digit dogs in that game. It's it's senior day for Trevon Blewett, J.P. McCura, and uh, Chris Mack had all weekend just to figure out how to slow down Kyron Cartwright. They did not not play on the weekend. You know, but realistically, I I mean, that's, that's just one of those games that you looked at on the calendar and said, okay, it would be nice to win that one, but yeah. you know, let's try and take care of the ones around it. And that's what Providence did against Georgetown. And mm-hmm. you, know, you have to say, Kevin, that unlike against Seton Hall, uh, and you could say both Seton Hall games, really, um, you know, where outside of Kyron Cartwright in the second game, uh, he played well uh, over that two-day affair, the sort of home game at the dunk and then at Alumni Hall. Uh, the seniors didn't really stand up uh, and, and lead, and I think they did a much better job against uh, against Georgetown. And I think we've said for most of the season that 
you know, if those guys are asserting themselves, Providence can be pretty good. There have just been too many nights where they haven't, and they really need those guys to play well here down the stretch. Well, there's no question. There can't be any nights off for Rodney Bullock, Kyron Cartwright especially. Uh, Jalen Lindsay is in a bit of a funk with his three-point shot right now. Obviously, that's his main weapon. A very good defensive player, played 31 minutes in the Georgetown win, but only made one three. But uh, Bullock really woke up in the second half. He ended up with five threes. That's a season high. Mm. Uh, you know, Rod, you put Rodney Bullock down for five threes in any game and Kyron Cartwright for nine assists, Providence is going to be able to play with anyone in the league, really anyone in the country, because if you look at uh, the way that college basketball is right now, if you want to say that Villanova and Xavier are among the top four teams in the, in the country, well, Providence has wins over them. So you know, when those two guys are playing well, they can play with anybody. It's just you, you can't count on them. Uh, and we've seen this for four years, no. and certainly this season, you can't count on them at all. And uh, you know it's a very discomforting situation for Ed Cooley. And yet, you know... Uh, I, again, don't know what to expect here in March with the Friars. There, there were two numbers in this game that I really liked. Uh, Rodney Bullock with eight rebounds, which means that he's active uh, in this game and, and physical in this game, which is really good. And then, it, Kevin, how good is Alpha Diallo with nine assists and one turnover in this game? I, I mean, what a matchup problem he is. And, and obviously down the stretch, had that huge and one, mm-hmm. uh, you know, in a game that was really, really tight there. One point game. I know he missed the free throw, but, yeah. uh, you know, just a huge bucket at the time. Uh, you know, and he's the type of guy who I look at and I say he's got the sort of DNA to be the next leader of this next Providence team. No, he, he will be the potential star next year, I think. They'd like to build around him and uh, and a hopefully 100% healthy Emmett Holt. Those would be the two, you know, guys that they build around. But the, the stat that jumped out at me was four turnovers. You know, uh, yes, unbelievable. Uh, yeah, Georgetown. Unbelievable. Georgetown actually pressed pretty well in the second half to to get a uh, 11 point Providence lead down to one. Uh, and you know, you think well, Providence was sloppy with the ball. Well, they only you know only lost it four times. So uh, just a really vital stat for Providence. And we really haven't seen that. You know. We just talked on the way in that Providence is really not good in a lot of the metrics that the NCA committee uh, has at its disposal, um, uh, the predictive uh, metrics. Yes. And that's really because of the, their offense. Their offense is as low as 99th in the latest Ken Palm offensive efficiencies. And yet, you know, they, they have the capability to have 22 assists and four turnovers on the road uh, against a Georgetown team that's coming off wins against Seton Hall and Butler, two likely NCAA tournament teams. So it's there, but it's just far from consistent with the Friars. It just seems so strange when you have a team that has a veteran point guard like Kyron Cartwright, you would, you would automatically assume that that would lead to team-wide ball security, and that just hasn't been the case. They're 108 in turnover percentage, which is pretty ordinary. It's in the top third, but you would expect Providence to be in the top 50 when you have the ball in that guy's hands for 30, 36, 37 minutes a game. Well, how about this one? They shot 52% in the second half. It's the first half in, I think, eight games where they crack 50%. Wow. And, you know, th- that will hurt your numbers. It will. <laughs> You're right. That's almost half the, half the games that they've played in the Big East play. So uh, th- that's really the issue with their offense right now is they're just not shooting the ball consistently. Uh, and, you know, you know, you can say that, uh, you know, that can get better. I don't know if it can get better. Uh, the one thing that needs to be a consistent staple is their defense and 27 uh, percent in the second half really really put them over the over the top the Friars situation the rest of the way here is again they are at Xavier on Wednesday night 
in Cincinnati. Uh, good luck. And then uh, <laughs> home, home to St. John's. And th- that's, I wouldn't say a must win, but, you know, I, I guess the question, Bill, is a loss at Xavier, a, a stumble loss against St. John's, and then you go to New York, and Providence will, will almost certainly not be playing in the uh, playoff uh, uh, play-in round, I call it, on Wednesday. So that means th- they'll be playing a, another NCAA team. They'll, they'll, I have them playing either Seton Hall, Creighton, or Butler. Uh, certainly can lose that. Uh, three losses in a row, that's a complicating factor. Well, here's I have their team sheet in front of me right now, and, and here's a sneaky thing that some PC fans might not have noticed. They're down to three Quadrant 1 wins. Uh, Creighton has slipped to 32. Butler has slipped to 35, and Washington has slipped to 51. Uh, those are all just outside of Quadrant 1. Creighton and Butler were at home. You need them to be in the top 30. Right. And Washington was at Madison Square Garden. You need, to be, you need them to be in the top 50. So you should be big fans of the Blue Jays, the Bulldogs, and the Huskies down the stretch uh, because Providence's resume looks a lot better with those six Quadrant 1 wins on there. Uh, and if, you know, to that point, if those three teams stay there and the Friars were to stumble down the stretch, lose to St. John's and then go one and done at Madison Square Garden, they could be looking at going to Dayton for the first four or missing out entirely on an NCAA tournament bid. I agree. I think the people who say, well, if they finish 10 and 8, they're all set. I don't think they're all set. It, it, it's going to be tight. Uh, I, I think what they really need to focus on is uh, seeing what happens at Xavier, uh, beating St. John's and then. Locking yourself in, you know. D- d- don't don't rely on the committee, although the, the whims of uh, the numbers. Go to New York and, and beat Creighton, you know. Which is, you know, I, I looked a little deeper into the um, potential tiebreaker situation, and I think Providence is. If I had to put my Vegas hat on, Providence would be playing Creighton um, as the uh, one, two, three, four, the in the five, six game. I'm trying to think. Five, two, three. The four-five game, right? Um, and if you were to beat Creighton on a neutral floor, you're all set. That's a quadrant one win, and you're all set. I mean, that, that would that would give them eleven Big East wins if you look further on. And Creighton's going to be in the NCAA tournament, so it's right. uh, you know that locks things in. I, I think that's that needs to be Providence's focus going forward. So. We'll see. Uh, we're going to uh, wrap it up with two more things. Uh, disappointing weekend for the Brown Bears. Mm. Pretty much eliminated them from potential uh, Ivy League playoff uh, race. Uh, watched uh, the Saturday game, which is probably more important, at Cornell. Um, we're in good position the majority of the game and uh, couldn't get it done down the stretch. Uh, that loss combined with the loss at uh, Columbia the night before. Uh, you know, if you really look at it, you know, they were in the mix for a couple of weeks. Very young team. You know, Mike Martin has to say going forward that, you know, my best players are uh, underclassmen and uh, you keep the group together and maybe add a little bit more size. They're probably down uh, lacking one good big guy and maybe they can come up with that in recruiting situation and, and next year can be in the mix. Yeah, nice young talent, but uh, four straight losses on the road all by single digits. It almost feels like where Rhode Island was maybe two or three years ago when they were trying to build with Dan Hurley. They had some tough losses, whether it be to good opponents at home uh, or on the road where they had leads and just couldn't quite hold them. The next step, obviously, uh, which you or I took, was to make an NCAA, and now they're going to make another one. And and you could see Brown making a similar progression if they can keep these guys together. Uh, They certainly don't lack for talent. They just need to learn how to finish here, and I think that comes with experience. It's so invaluable. If you look at the top five, 
five to ten teams uh, in college basketball, you look at their collective ages uh, and teams that could make deep runs into the NCAAs. They're all veteran. They're all tough. They're all tested. And, and Brown will get there over time. No question. I, I, that you know, going through the tough road losses, uh, you just build that metal that you're going to need. In future years, only the true elite big timers can get it done at, at a really young age. Uh, and then Bryant, I was actually at the last home game on uh, Thursday against Sacred Heart, and uh, Bryant, you know, they just couldn't get it done. They, they had a, a slew of games down the stretch, very similar to Brown, where uh, you know single-digit losses uh, put them over the top, and that's it for Tim O'Shea. He's officially done as the Bryant coach. Uh, Bill Smith, the athletic director, I saw him, and his his job is he knows what he needs to do. Uh, I think Bryant could act a little quicker than you would think, um, and and gets uh, somebody in here in the next couple of weeks as the next head coach of Bryant. So uh, I think they're looking for someone a little younger. Mm-hmm. Um, I will say that uh, Bryant does not have a minority head coach in any sport. Is that right? It is. And uh, wow, I, I would think that that's uh, a focus. You know, who, who knows? I'm sure he's going to look for the best person that he can find. But I have a hard time believing that uh, a minority or two wouldn't be uh, in the mix down the stretch here. Well, and, and I think to your point, just the general profile of, of Bryant's next coach, you want someone young and hungry, you know, someone in their you know, mid to late 30s who, who's mm-hmm. maybe been a, a head coach somewhere or, or that's going to be hard you know ideally a high level assistant yeah from somewhere yeah. I, uh, I, I, you know if you're a head coach barring you got fired recently right uh, you, you're not going to leave your job to go to Brian but I guess what I mean is you know if you had someone who was a head coach at a high profile high school program somewhere maybe like a mm-hmm. a national profile like say Kevin Boyle only 15 years ago right right uh, yeah. somebody like that you you could roll the dice on somebody like that but ideally what you're looking for is is probably a high level assistant Someone who's got a little bit of postseason experience with with where they've been, uh, and someone who's proven that they can bring in talent. Ideally, you take someone from a region that has basketball players, whether it's someone with New Jersey ties or someone with DMV ties or someone with the ability to recruit the South or the Midwest. Uh, you know, and you you're able to bring in maybe three or four under the radar players who they know about, and they can go into the high schools and be familiar there. And right. You know, as we know about basketball, as opposed to trying to turn a football team around, it only takes a class or two. You're able to get five or six guys in in a couple classes, and the NEC, the talent at the top of the league, isn't you know to the point where they're bringing in top hundred guys. You can close that gap very quickly. It turns around quick. There's no question. And uh, with the way that the better young players in the NEC don't stick around, usually they opt to transfer. Uh, it doesn't take much, but you, you do need the right group and. You know, O'Shea actually was uh, outspoken uh, in his last press conference to say that if we can keep this core together, the next coach has a chance to do well because uh, their better players are our young players. Uh, mm. So we'll see what happens going forward. Uh, we will be back next week before the conference tournaments, both the Atlantic 10 and the Big East conference tournaments next week. And, uh, Bill, we'll see you then. Kevin, looking forward to it. <laughs>